We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ivy Nation, what's going on? What's happening? Irish Breakdown Podcast here, bringing you a Friday free-for-all mailbag. Of course, I'm Ryan Roberts, Director of Recruiting here at irishbreakdown.com, joined by my good friend and publisher here at irishbreakdown.com, Mr. Brian Driscoll. It's been a couple of days, Brian. We uh, yes. we had to take, a, take the day off yesterday, and it's yeah. been a crazy, hectic, weird week. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that, they, that we can kind of phrase this week but we are always excited to get back to these Fridays especially this free-for-all mailbag is is one of our favorite things because we really push the community aspect so much of of the building of Irish Breakdown right and this show is for you all right you can kind of you can point the conversations in the way that you want you can start the topics and it it just really is my favorite show of the week and I can't wait to dive into it but Brian I think the first thing that we need to get to though because I know you had a little bit of an update on the offensive line coaching hire that needs to happen here at Notre Dame. And I think the first where to start, first place to start here is obviously yesterday and even into a little bit into this morning. I know a lot of people have been talking about, obviously, the, the surfacing of Matt Luke is something that we obviously reported on, that he had visited Notre Dame. And it looked like things were obviously trending in a very good direction. Mm-hmm. But what can you tell us, I guess, to start this podcast off of just – you know, the Matt Luke situation and kind of the, the courting, I guess, is the way we yeah. qualify it. It was the middle of the day yesterday, Ryan. It was hearing some a lot of really good things about how it was going. He was very interested, loved Coach Freeman, was actually blown away by the direction that they're going and that he was really, really intrigued by the job. There was a lot of good feeling that he might take it. But at the end of the day, his family was going to be the ultimate decision maker. And they sat down as a family and you got to understand he's got two boys. One's a teenager. One's about to be a teenager. They're both in you know, high school, going to go to middle school. Uh, they're entrenched and a lot like Mike Elson did several times in his career. Uh, he decided to stay where he is because it was best for his family. Can't fault him for that. I actually have a ton of respect for that, to be completely honest with you. But uh, I can I can say there's people, oh, he just used Notre Dame for this, Notre Dame for that. He wasn't really interested. Why waste time? He was definitely interested. Notre Dame made a great pitch. Money was not an issue. 
And at the end of the day, just they sat down as a family and decided that he wanted to stay where he is and stay retired and and continue to be a part of his boys' lives as they grow up. So he will not be, uh, as of right now, I mean, unless he has a change of heart, which I, I don't see happening, he is not going to be the offensive line coach in Notre Dame moving forward. So Matt Luke is definitely a guy that the staff made a hard push for, and I would say probably top of the board guy. I think it's safe to say that. But he decided he wanted to to stay retired for now. And, and I know it's frustrating for Notre Dame fans, but I think the key thing there is, Brian, that this wasn't anything Notre Dame did wrong, right? right. I mean, in this particular in, instance, correct. Right, correct. right. Yeah, I mean, we, we can we can gripe about, you know, what has happened previously this offseason, but in there this was no situation. Issue. There was nope. no, couldn't pay him yep. enough, nothing like that. Yep, no money issues, no, you know, lack of communication, like nothing. This was just simply Matt Luke's family was a part of the massive decision, like you said, and they thought it was best for him to stay retired, stay where they are, not be uprooted, obviously, to go from, you know, their home in Mississippi all the way up to South Bend, Indiana. So, you know, it's unfortunate that it ended this way just because, you know, Matt Luke is a really good offensive line coach, and it would have been something that we would have obviously been pumped up about. But at the end of the day, you can't fault him and his family for not wanting to be uprooted with where they are in their situation. I I want to say this real quick. I think this is why Notre Dame fans need to stop obsessing over a candidate. And, and this is yeah. the problem is, is this is why we don't like putting out our choice. Like there was a question in there, who is your number one guy? And I'm not going to tell you that because the reality is, is unless that guy gets hired, I'm not going to tell you that because what tends to happen is, is Notre Dame is looking at guys that can get the job done at a high level. They've got to hire a guy. There's not one guy. That, that's just not how it works. Now they've got now the task for Marcus Freeman to transition into your next question, Ryan, is going to be they've got to make sure they get that kind of guy, whether he is an established guy or an up and comer guy or a guy that maybe is at a smaller school that, you know, if he gets this kind of look, will do great. All those things. Because remember, a lot of Notre Dame fans weren't happy when Harry Heastan got hired in 2012. Oh, he got fired from Tennessee. They didn't even want him, blah, blah, blah. Look, they just need a guy that can get the job done. And that's the reality. I don't care how many people say no. Remember how many people turned USC down before they went? They felt they settled on Pete Carroll, right? <laughs> the key is getting a, a guy that can get the job done at a high level. It doesn't. It doesn't feel good when your top candidates say no. But the reality is, is Marcus Freeman's got to establish himself as a successful head coach, and Notre Dame's got to show that they could put a good offense on the board. That's the reality of it. And in, until that happens, you know, you you run the risk of these type of things continuing to happen. For so, sure. Hopefully they can go, you know, they can get the job done and, and get somebody that's good and then put a great offense on the field next year. And then next time this comes around, we'll be in a little bit of a different situation. And obviously you have been on top of, you know, all the handling behind the scenes of this, you know, coaching search that has happened, which is why you should be signed up at boards at irishbreakdown.com because Brian also had a nice intel piece this morning about there seems to be a couple names that have surfaced to the top of the coaching search for Notre Dame. So, Brian, who are a couple of those guys that maybe Notre Dame fans should get their eyes on if they're not a part of the premium message board? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I think two guys to keep an eye on right now are Joe Rudolph at Virginia Tech. He was at Wisconsin from 2015 to 2021. He was the offensive coordinator and O-line coach at, at uh, Wisconsin. He's currently the run game coordinator and offensive line coach at Virginia Tech. And then the other guy is A.J. Blazik, I think is how you pronounce his name. It might be Blazik. He's the offensive line coach at Vanderbilt right now. He was at North Dakota State before that. Obviously won a national championship there. Was also someone who played for Kirk Ferentz, has coached under Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Ferentz, who is, I mean – if you're if you're going to look at the the college football right now, the the two legends of the game that are currently in college football are Kirk Ferentz and Harry Heastan. Harry's now out. Kirk Ferentz say is still that guy. And then you look at at uh, you know Kirk Ferentz is still considered a, a great offensive line mind, and especially when when uh, when AJ was com- coach AJ was coming up. And then he also was hired by Kyle Flood to be his offensive line coach at Rutgers, which says something to me because Kyle Flood's another one of those top five offensive line coaches in college football. So there's some things to like there. I don't know a ton about him. I've reached out to some of my sources that that are familiar with him. I've heard great things so far, but I just got to learn more about him. But he won't be a sexy name, Ryan. The reality is you hire a guy from Vanderbilt, people aren't going to be fired up about it. But from what I have heard so far, I really like what I've heard from about him. Will he want the job? I don't know. Will they offer him the job? I don't know. It's just a, a name that is considered very high up on the board for Notre Dame right now at this point in time. Yeah. And, I mean, a couple interesting names. I think obviously we'll sure have a lot of conversation piece about, you know, if if it is indeed Joe Rudolph and A.J. Vlasic moving forward that are kind of the front runners for the position, I guess. You know, we'll have obviously a deep conversation about how each of those guys fit. And I know we can – have a little bit of that conversation today if somebody wanted to talk about it on sure. the podcast or in the mailbag section. But, you know, I, I'm just going to tr- kind of trust the process here, right? Like, I'm not going to jump the gun. I'm not going to be that person that just kind of jumps to conclusions. I Because I, I, I didn't, honestly, when you talked to me a little bit about A.J. Vlasic earlier, Brian, I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know anything about him. But you look at his resume, you're like, okay, there's some there's some sure. nice stuff there, man. I mean, he's been around a lot of – Around a lot of good offensive line coaches. Vanderbilt took a huge step forward this year from an offensive line perspective comparative to where they were before he showed up on campus. North Dakota State really intrigues me a lot with the power of football that they play. I well, mean, and I will say this. Obviously, North Dakota State has a lot of success, but their best rushing yards and best rushing yards per carry season was his first year, his only full year there. His second year there was the COVID year, and they played in the spring, played like half yeah. a season in the spring. So I don't even look at that. So, yeah, but we'll, we'll see. Joe Rudolph's obviously a bigger name. 
Um, somebody said Chris Ash hired Blazek at Rutgers. No, he didn't. Kyle Flood did. He was on Kyle Flood's last team there, and then Chris Ash kept him. So I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that that I'm correct on that. So uh, Blazek was at Rutgers from 2016 to 2018. I'm I'm pretty sure Kyle Flood's last year at Rutgers was 2016. I'm just look at that real quick. Yeah, Kyle, his oh no, he is actually correct. Uh, he's actually correct. So that was actually Chris Ash hired him. So yes, that would be correct. I thought there was a one year carryover with Kyle Flood, but I got that wrong. So yeah, but still, obviously take that one little notch off the belt, but the other part of it is still there. So yes, yeah. and, and I would say I have already been listening to a lot of. There's some coaching clinics out there on both Rudolph and Velazic. There's a lot of interviews that obviously those those individuals have done in the past. Velazic especially is someone that really comes off as a very intelligent guy to me. Yeah. Joe Rudolph does too. So, I mean, we'll we'll see. We'll see obviously how everything figures R- Rudolph's out. Rudolph's an interesting one because he had that one great year at Pitt. After two mediocre years, he was the O-line coach for Joe for Paul Christa Pitt. And, and they had some years with good numbers at Wisconsin, but they weren't the numbers they used to put up. Yards per carry weren't as high. You know, they had some really good years with Jonathan Taylor, but again, yards per carry were way lower than they were before. And, you know, obviously he he got forced out after 2021. But as I told a friend the other day, him getting forced out had more to do with him being the offensive coordinator than it did with him as the offensive line coach. Yes. And and so they weren't just – he wasn't just going to get demoted to offensive line coach after being the offensive coordinator. It just doesn't really work that way. So I'm not a huge Joe Rudolph fan, to be completely honest with you, Ryan. And I've never I've never been blown away by his alt Wisconsin lines compared to the previous Wisconsin lines under Bostad and other guys. So I'm just being honest. I'm, uh, that that hire would not excite me to be completely honest with you. But here's the deal: both of these guys are still significant upgrades over what they had the year before Harry Heastan came back, and th- yes. and we can't lose sight of that, right? That well, that's- and and uh, I mean for Joe Rudolph. Joe Rudolph's recruiting background is very nice. I mean, just to add like a little more context to him, right? I mean, we'll have to dig in obviously deeper if if he does become the leading candidate at some point as far as, you know, the development of how guys improved over his duration as a coach. But, I mean, if you look at just kind of some of the recruits that he's pulled, while he, especially while he was at Wisconsin and even at Pitt, Pittsburgh a little bit, he does have some nice wins on his belt. So I think he would recruit at a pretty – good level at Notre Dame for some you can't recruit offensive linemen in Notre Dame you don't deserve to have a job I'm not honestly people talk about I don't care about recruiting I I don't that that takes care of itself put a good product on the field I care about what a guy coaches and to your point they did sign a lot of highly ranked guys and yet they still couldn't produce those guys into the NFL at the level the previous coach did that's my issue right and they still weren't as good even though like you said they have recruited some highly ranked guys Logan Brown what did Logan Brown ever do at Wisconsin right he he ended up transferring I think after this year so uh, yeah that's that's kind of that's kind of my thing so but look O-line people like them I'm not I'm just not in love with Joe Rudolph yeah still a big upgrade over Joe Jeff Quinn big upgrade over Jeff Quinn I need to do a lot more research on him, obviously. I did reach out to one buddy who's more in the know from a coaching change perspective, all that good stuff. He had a lot of good things to say about Joe Rudolph. So, I mean, again, I, I don't know enough because, see, about that's where we have to. Yeah. That's where we have to do our homework. Okay, was the yeah. issue with Wisconsin during his tenure there more about him being the offensive coordinator? Could be. Or were the issues with him as an offensive line coach? I think that's a fair thing that we have to ask and that I have to be open-minded to. Uh, I, I know because I'm not a Joe Rudolph fan. I've I've said this many times. 
so you got to figure out, okay, was he better just as an O-line coach as opposed to a coordinator? Will not being a coordinator uh, make him a better offensive line coach? I don't know the answers to that. So that's going to be part of of the process of evaluating him. And and um, he's a Midwestern guy. He's a Pennsylvania guy. He played in the NFL for a, for a couple seasons. You know, played at Wisconsin. Has been at Wisconsin, and you know, was it with Pitt? You know, with with Paul Christ. So we'll, yeah, we'll we'll just have to see how it plays out. That is an interesting glare, I would say, because I, I think the reason that you see so few offensive line coaches as OCs is because. I mean, that's a really like yeah. coaching offensive line is a very like, you know, like an in-depth, a lot of time type of duration stuff, right? Like you got to spend a lot of time with those guys. You're working with five players at once to kind of create that cohesive environment. You're, I mean, how many offensive linemen does Notre Dame have in their roster right now? What's it, like 18 like 16, scholarships? 16, or 16 to 18, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're dealing with a big room, obviously you're coaching and there's so many nuances to coaching offensive linemen from run game technique to pass game technique to just little nuances of being able to be a cohesive unit. That is a lot on someone's shoulders. So maybe taking that step back would get him back to where his reputation did spawn from, but you know, it's just more context. We'll have to consider obviously as we dive deeper into it. Let's get into some questions here, uh, Ryan, and and we'll start off with, with John a one, obviously he's going to kick us off with some questions here and uh, we'll kind of continue about uh, a little bit of O-line talk and get into some other things here. Man, Joe was uh, Joe. John was putting in some work before yeah. the show started. Man, you could always you could always um, bet on John A. One giving us kicked off for a show. So he says, if Notre Dame goes in a different direction with the offensive line coach, will Chris Watt be a desired candidate at other schools? Would Notre Dame want him to stay in his current position? I mean, Notre Dame definitely wants to keep Chris Watt. Now, whether that's as off, as an offensive GA, whether he's now no longer eligible for GA status and has to become an analyst, I'm not quite sure what his status is. I, be, I, I won't be surprised if next year there's a different GA and Chris is in a different role. It wouldn't surprise me if that's the, the case either. But Notre Dame certainly wants to keep Chris Watt around. There's no question about that. Will he be desired by other coaching staffs? I, that I don't know. That I don't have an answer to. But you, you, I, I'd you, want him to stay personally yeah you would think that he would be attractive obviously just with his experience with coach Eastan. like you would think that he would be desired but again that is speculation but that's one position where coaches really want someone with experience look and and i've heard a lot of good things about how the Notre Dame coaches feel about chris watt but it's just one of those things where you're trying to build a team that can go out and compete for a championship right now do you want to take a risk of an offensive coordinator who's never done that job full-time a receivers coach who's been a coach for now going into his third season and an offensive line coach that that is as young as Chris is and experienced as Chris is, I think that's a concern. But there's a lot of people that I know around the program that think the world of Chris Watt and his ability. It's just the timing wasn't right, which is, again, why I wish Coach Eastan would have stayed for another year. And we did have a question uh, with the, the, that I think is relevant to, to this one, Ryan, that I'll just quickly bring up and address. And this is from Salty Virginia Peanuts. He says, with Parker being the OC and Luke declining the O-line coach, is there any chance Coach Eastan would return? I just don't see that happening. I, I don't I don't see a scenario in which that happens. I wish he would have not left. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if he came back and, you know, worked with Chris Watt for another year, maybe he could do that. But I just don't see that being an option right now. I, I think Coach Eastan's I, I don't I, I don't want to speak for coach, but I I'd, I'd be shocked if he has any interest in coming back. I think I don't think he made this decision uh rashly. I don't think he made an emotional does not make whole, yeah. uh, emotional decisions like this. I think he thought it through and you know, um, disappointed by it. 
wish he would have waited a year, but you know, it, it is what it is. So they're going to, they're going to move forward and hopefully they can bring in a guy that can, can get the job done at a high level. So we shall see. Here's a coach question here, Ryan from coach bent five, seven, four. And his question is, I know access to practices for the media was an issue last year. Aside from time, how did access differ from the Kelly era once you were in the building? Any areas on SL? Sideline. Sideline, roped off under Kelly. Well, we were never really be able to be on the sidelines under Kelly. We'd have to be like in the bleachers if we were outside or up in the, you know, at the, the Joyce lot. Or not Joyce, but... Um, in the Goog, the Loftus Center, we would have to be like way in the back. There's like this area over top that we'd have to overlook. They didn't let us get down near the field that much. Kelly was varied from year to year. Some years really restrictive, other years not restrictive. My 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 thought is that Notre Dame, this Notre Dame communications department and those kind of people are going to give us less and less access to to practices. I think that's a big mistake. I could go. I could do a whole show on that. Well, I think it's very short sighted that they do that. I don't think it helps the program. I think they think it does, but it doesn't. And I think their views on the availability of the players and the team to the media is very, like I said, very short sighted and very pre NIL. And, and to me, when you go through a 15 practice spring period and you don't allow media to be around, but for a couple practices, where's the buzz? You're not putting out practice reports. You're doing like these little 30 second videos where you can hardly tell who's in it half the time. You know what I mean? Like you, you throw out like a, an occasional mic'd up coach situation. Okay, that's fine. But you're not selling your program. You're not selling your student athletes the way that you need to in this NIL era. And you're also basically giving a big middle finger to Notre Dame fans who, whether they want to admit it or not, are still the lifeblood of the program. Now, does it help us? Sure. But I'll be honest, Ryan, Irish Breakdown is better equipped to not have practice access than anyone else because of the unique nature of what we do. That's not an insult on anybody else. It's just a unique nature of what we do. It, but it's still bad. It's still yeah. not good for the program, in my opinion. It's not good for the players. It's not good for fans. There's no pauses from it. And if there are certain things they don't want reported, then just tell us what you don't want reported. Don't let us take video. Right. Just you take video. Let us just take still shots and then say, hey, you're going to put a video out every day. But to not have more access to this. And like from what I'm told, like talking to Lou Samoji and Tim Priester back in the day, Lou Holtz, everything was open back then. And and, you know, I, I think it I think it's very short sighted. And and um, I could say a lot of other adjectives about it, but it doesn't help the program at all. They think it does, but it doesn't. It doesn't at all. I just say, look, put guidelines on it. Hey, don't report this. Don't report injuries. Don't report if a coach cusses a kid out. Don't do this. Don't do that. And that's fine. And then if somebody breaks that rule, take away their credential to be a practice again. That's fine. But they won't do that, unfortunately. So I hope they prove me wrong, but I'd be shocked if we get a ton of spring access. I had a couple of different experiences while at Notre Dame a little bit, Brian. And I know this is asking about practices, right? Because to your point, I mean, we were up up in the in the seats, right? We're up in the rafters and you know, just kind of watching it like that. Like that's the access we had. And it was obviously a you know, a segmented part of practice that we're able to watch in general. So not much access in that regard. You know what's funny though is that like when they do the pro day stuff though, they let you down on the field. Sure. They let you interview the players right on the field afterwards. Just like why not more of that stuff, man? You got so much good material. 
it, they don't <sighs> need to control that as much. Like, like, look, I'm, I'm all for, you don't need to be walking up to players as they're walking off of practice. There are certain things that I think a coach should be able to say, Hey, look, man, don't report this and say, well, I can report whatever I want. Okay, fine. Then we won't give you access. Sure. Right. I mean, but like, Hey, don't get like, I've had, um, it was a Michael Birch asked me this once. He's like, Hey, don't go into great detail about specific pass schemes that we're doing. That's a fair request, you know, because like he knows me, knows my, co- know my knows my coaching background and knows that I could get real detailed about the different concepts they're running a team. You know, hey, Notre Dame was really focusing on, you know, in team day on, on you know, doing outside zone out of this personnel, this motion and this alignment. That's probably not something that you'd want out there, right? As you're getting ready to play a game. Totally respect that. Totally get that. That's totally fair. But to be like, hey, this kid really impressed me today during one-on-ones. This is who won the one there was great one-on-one battles between Joe Walt and Jordan Patelho today. And here's what happened. Here's who stood out. Here's who did this. Here's who did that. You know, th- this is the tempo of the practice. So-and-so really shined because here's the thing. We're not going to hear a dang thing about it. like, oh, we're going to get the player interviews and then we get to ask the coaches about specific players. But if we're at practice and let's say we're there and Irish illustrated is there and the rivals people are there and the local media people are there, I'm going to notice something like, man, this kid really stood out to me. And then Tim Priester is going to notice somebody else and write about somebody else. And then Tim O'Malley is going to write about somebody else. And then Pete Sampson is going to write about somebody else. And then, you know, Tyler James is going to write about somebody else. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of kids that got mentioned today. Hey, so-and-so did really well today. Oh, wow. I haven't seen, heard that kid's name before. You know, but then I got a, I get a couple, you know, Sean Styers gets a couple questions after a practice and I got to, Hey, burn one of your two questions on asking about some third stringer that we're, we're not sure about, you know what I mean? Otherwise, or I could be there and observe it myself and write about it. So the fact that they don't think that's positive exposure and helps the program blows my mind. And, and, you know, look, there's things they should be doing. They should put a video out after every single practice, every single practice. Because they're and so well done, man. They, they are, are really well done when, when they done. do stuff. It's excellent. Yes. But it's like a 30 second video from a post practice is not enough, in my opinion. It should be at least, at least a minute long. You're not giving away any trade secrets by doing that. And you're creating exposure and excitement for your team. There's so little, there's just like, it's just dead right now around Notre Dame. Yeah. And and it's because we're not getting a lot of that from the program. And and to a degree I understand it. They had to move back the offensive coach the offensive interviews. I get that. I respect that because what are the, what is every offensive kid going to be? What's Sam Hartman going to be asked about if he if we'd have had him available last week or the week before? Tommy Reese, the OC. Also, he yeah. doesn't need that. He's cuz he's not going to know the answer. And he's going to get asked about it a billion times when spring practice comes around. Right. So that's but just at least now he knows who the quarterback's coach is going to be. He knows who the OC is going to be, and it'll be a different deal. So yes. I actually have no problem with that, that kind of thing. But to not allow us to have access to practice to me doesn't help anybody at all. It doesn't even help them, no. in my opinion, because you're losing buzz. And what would Georgia doesn't allow people to practice. Okay, cool. When you win back-to-back national championships, then we can talk about whether or not you want to do what Georgia does. Okay, but you're not Georgia. You're a different okay. animal. Your fans are across the country, right? And you're losing opportunities for your kids to be getting discussed and talked about. What a great day from so-and-so. You know, and then it creates buzz. And then fans go talk about it. Oh, I can't wait to see so-and-so this year. So-and-so is going to be great. And you miss those opportunities when you limit access. And I, and I fully expect them to continue limit. And I, again, I hope they prove me wrong, but I just don't see it. 
it, it limits exposure from a, just a program perspective, but also from a player perspective, man. Like I want to get to know these kids, you know, like yeah. I want to see a little bit of their personality. I exactly. want to know more about that player. And that, that helps not only your program, but it also helps them. Like you can't, like you can't say that you're player driven. If you don't give the players an opportunity to showcase what they can do and who they are to help their brand. I will say this. They allowed the players under coach Freeman and Katie, as opposed to, to coach Kelly and the previous SIDs, they allow players to be themselves more. You don't see as many of the canned answers now as you got in the past. Like they let Audric estimate be himself. He's a different cat. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so, so they don't, they don't make, they don't make them kind of have the same, you know, say what we want you to say thing as they used to. That's a good thing. But we get those kids like, what well, we'll get maybe a third of the kids once during spring ball. Right. Right. To your point. Whereas if I'm at practice, I can write about Audric estimate plays with so much fire. This kid's showing so much leadership. This kid's doing this kid's doing that. And, and, you know, Priester can write about a different guy and O'Malley can write about a guy. You're at practice. You can write about a different guy. Sean Styers can write about a different guy. And all of a sudden, a lot of these kids are getting talked about as opposed to them dictating who is or is not going to get talked about. Right. Exactly. And that's, you know, and then we get to see these kids personalities, but they're not going to be able to tell us well, how practice go. And, and, and so I got to ask Audric about Jadarian Price. Hey, how's I hate, like, I hate that. I hate when players get asked about other players. But in fairness, when we don't get to go to practice, how else are we even supposed I, to know about how Jabron Payne's doing or how you know the freshmen are doing or how? So it it, tur- it turns into a know. necessary evil at that point. Right. Like you have to do it, or else you're not going to get the answer to the question. I mean, that's just where it is. So. Yeah. So let's move on to some more questions here, Ryan. Let's let's get through some of these. Here's one from Michael. Co- so so John A. One, Coach Bent, and Michael Collins like lit it up at the very beginning flooded of the show. It. So yeah, they, they so we love it. it. We love it. Appreciate that. So let's go to this one from Michael Collins. Yeah, and his question is, can players that are moved from football to academic scholarship then walk on to a team? Is there a limit to how many players they can move to academic scholarship? There's no limit. It's it's So f- to answer your first part, no. If you get moved to an academic scholarship, you can't play football anymore. So you you, you can't do that. That would, be a, that would be very much frowned upon. It's more of a not a number, it's a period in that first year of a coach's tenure, you can move kids off scholarship on academic scholarships. It's because they have a new coaching staff. Not They can't keep doing it for pep perpetuity year after year from my understanding. So it's not so much a, a number, it's just about, there's not a limit as far as I know. It's just kids have to agree to it. And if they don't agree to it, then then they have to transfer. If they still want to keep playing football, they have to tr- then transfer. Um, but, uh, it's, a it's a unique window that Notre Dame is currently in that'll end be ending very at the end of the semester, I believe. So that is, uh, yeah, that that's where they're at for that one. Now, as far as, um, um, some of these guys, we'll, we'll start learning a lot about some, who some of these guys are in the spring. Cause obviously certain guys won't be on the roster. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how, cause they, they're still, I think at least over 90, I think still right now, like a 90, 91, are they over so 90. That's why I, I think they're around 90, 91 still. So they're going to have to. They're going to have to get down here here pretty soon. All right. Uh, calm down. Says, uh, happy Friday. What is everyone giving up for Lent? Uh, I don't I don't partic- participate in that. I've never been a Lent guy. So um, I used I, to when I, I was younger. I, yeah. I, I don't I don't uh, I don't practice that anymore, though. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I've never I, done that. I've never been part of a denomination that does the Lent thing. So yeah. it's just 
Well, I, uh, I, I guess, I mean, it's not, it has nothing to do with Lent, but I tried giving up carbs kind of recently and I'm back on it a little bit, but that's just more for good health than anything religious based. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get down to some more questions here. We've got one here from Irish blooded, not saying I am advocating at advocating for it. Sorry. I can't speak, but for offensive line coach, what would you think of Steve Adazio, especially with his time at Boston college? Right. Brian, can I just say, please? Do I actually, know. I actually don't think Steve Adazio is a bad offensive line coach, but he is just, it's not, it's just not a thing anymore. He's just he not just, necessarily a good guy. Yes, for one, that, right? And I, yeah. I, I think the whole coaching thing has kind of passed him by a little bit. Yeah, just I think Steve Adazio is still a very good offensive line coach. Yes, I just wouldn't want to sub, sub like, like, and this is someone who's a Harry Heastan supporter. I would not want to subject the players to his personality. How about that? Yeah. Is that a, a good way of putting it? It's a good way to put okay. it. Yeah. And, and, this is someone who who uh, advocated for Harry Heastan. So I'm just not a I'm not a big Steve Adazio fan, to be honest with you. So, but does he know offensive line? Yeah. Can he coach offensive sure. line? Yeah, he can. He he wouldn't have gotten so many opportunities if he didn't know ball in some capacity, yeah. right? Like he was a very good offensive line coach. To your point. Yep, absolutely. Next question. Let's go back up to John A. One. Here's another one from uh, John. Going back, why was the red shirt so important for Steve Angeli in 2022? Did the staff believe he could compete for the job in 2023, given the quarterback play when there were opportunities he didn't get reps? Well, he didn't play four games, right? No. So the problem he played like two, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Here was the problem up until the USC game, you couldn't play him more than two games because you needed him for you. You needed him to be eligible for USC in the bowl game should someone get hurt. Because at the time, you didn't know if Tyler Buckner was going to be available. So you literally had Drew Pine and Steve Angeli. That was it. So I think it was more of a situation of just protecting him as as, as much as it was wanting to protect the red shirt. It's protecting him because you were down to two quarterbacks. Ron Paulus the third is not an option to quarterback. Okay, just n- no. You didn't have Avery Davis, so you didn't have your emergency quarterback either. So you were literally down to two quarterbacks. So I think it was as much about just protecting Steve, period, as it was protecting the red shirt. Now, as far as why why was the red shirt so important, it's not about 2023. It's more about 24, 25, and 26, you know, making sure he's eligible for those seasons. So 22 is his fresh, freshman year, then red shirt freshman at 23, red shirt sophomore 25, red shirt junior 26, or 20, uh, excuse me, 24 would be red shirt sophomore, uh, 25 is red shirt junior, and then 26 would be red shirt senior. So you know he's not an option for 23. So you want to preserve that season. So maybe if the light goes on in 24, 25, 26, he's got eligibility remaining for those years. So I think that would be the redshirt reason for that. Uh, and I think those two things factored into that. But it wasn't just about the redshirt. It was about you need to protect him because if he goes down, you're really screwed. And it was a yeah. tough line to it was a tough line to be in because you did lose Tyler Buckner. You were already kind of thin at quarterback. And you decided not to go transfer portal. I actually wanted him to go to the transfer portal last year. It just was more for a backup guy, not a starter. The problem is it's going to be hard to get a backup a guy to come in knowing he's just going to be a backup. And then still keeping Drew Pine, right, around. So those are the, those were the challenges, in my opinion, for for kind of keeping that one, keeping that one going. That so. that, that Avery Davis mentioned, man, it, it got really weird there at the end when you're trying to think like. Because I remember when after Drew Pine transferred, we we had heard that you know Tyler was practicing, but you didn't know what his full 
availability would be for the bowl game. I remember we were talking about like, does Mitchell Evans get some reps now? Does this like who's the next emergency quarterback, man? It was a it was a wild time there at the end of the season, to say the least. No doubt about that. Let's go to some more. Here's an interesting one, Ryan, from John A1. Go ahead and ask this one real quick. Cake and ice cream versus sandwich cookies and milk versus a candy bar. Oh, so we got like a three-way battle yeah. going on here. Yeah. Battle. I sandwich cookies, milk. Wait. Okay. Sandwich cookies versus milk candy bar. Man. I mean, Brian, can, can we start with the, the, the elephant in the room here? Is what candy bar would you pick? I think that we need to establish this first before we yeah. really dive into There's this. There's probably no candy bar that I would take over like an ice cream sandwich. That's just probably not. And the first, I'd probably go with the first one, to be honest with you, if it's a good cake. I mean, yeah. like, I took my wife out to dinner for her birthday and they got us a, it was a birthday cake and a piece of some, some, uh, some, I thought it was ice cream, but it was whipped cream. That's not a mm-hmm. mistake you want to make. Like, you know, you think you're getting ice cream and, and you get whipped cream. It's like, okay, this was not ideal. But it was a really good cake, really rich, nice, nice. I mean, so you give me that and a ice cream, like you get like a, a who's it? Fridays has like a really good like brownie, like a hot oh. brownie with ice cream on. I think it's Fridays I, has that. That's really good. There, I, I remember when I was younger, when we used to go to Chili's, when I was in like my teenage years, we used to get this molten chocolate cake that had a scoop of vanilla ice cream on top. That was dope like that was fantastic yeah. i don't really go the i don't really do the a la mode thing anymore though is the only thing i mean sure. that would still probably be number one i would probably go sandwich like i'm thinking oreos and i'm dunking in the milk right i mean that's a fantastic combination so that'd probably be number two for me and then candy bar would probably be three i mean i'm not really like a true candy bar guy though i like Reese. like i just want some Reese cups you know like just give me some Reese cups and i'm good to go there so so john i think you actually have it in the order for me i, I think yeah. you have it in the order that would be my order. Yeah, it would be my order. No question. Let's go to another one. And, and uh, we always say, talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. So we've got one here from Sean Green. Are there certain players on offense and defense you want to see have a role to let you know that the coordinators are not just playing what's most comfortable, but playing the schemes that work best? Well, I don't think it's a scheme thing. I'm more like my conversation's more are they willing to make the tough decisions to play maybe yeah. better talents over the veteran? Like that's kind of like, my question. I don't see anyone on offense where I'm like, that guy's not playing. So they're, I, you know who I would say on offense, actually I'm going to scratch that. Here's who I would say on offense, Chris Tyree. If Chris Tyree is not a focal point of the offense, then they're just playing what they're comfortable with, not necessarily playing their best guys. Because again, we can, we could agree. We could all agree for the sake of argument, that Chris Tyree is not one of the two best running backs. I think that's debatable depending on the system you're going to run. If they're going to go to more of an inside-outside zone offense, I think Chris Tyree is, is can be dynamic. But let's just work with the fact that he's more of a change of pace than he is an every down back, just for the sake of argument. You're still screwing up as a coach if you're not getting him the ball minimum five times a game. Every time last year that they got him involved in the offense and he was a focal point of the offense, he played very well and the offense worked every single time. Every time when they would just try to pound him down up the middle, run and duo all day, and he didn't do anything and the offense didn't work. But go watch how they used him against Cal against Cal and was especially like late second second quarter into the second half when the offense started rolling. Go look how they used him against North Carolina. Go how they used him against Clemson. Look how they used him against South Carolina. And against South Carolina, because they were willing to use him, even there were things where he wasn't making plays, 
but how South Carolina was defending Chris Tyree when he was in the game opened up a long touchdown or opened up a long run by Tyler Buckner, opened up uh, the big play to Braden Lindsay because they came down so hard against his motion, things like that. So uh, that's what he brings to the table. Uh, that, that there's really no other back that we've seen on the roster can do. Now, maybe Jadarian Price can be that guy eventually, but he's not there yet because I mean, we haven't seen him play a snap of college football outside of a, a spring game. So if, if there was going to be a guy on offense, it'd be Chris Tyree. There's nobody else on the offense that I'm like, if they're not playing that guy scheme-wise, it's not a great idea. Defensively, I'd say the same thing. I don't know if there's anyone defensively that I'm like, gee, the scheme is such that they're just not using this guy. The so I, I think they all can kind of play different things. I don't I don't think that yeah. would be something that I would say. I don't think it's a scheme thing for me either. Like it, it's like I said before, it is a are you willing to take a chance on a younger, inexperienced player because the veteran is not getting it done? Like if the linebacker position stays the same as it was last year, Brian, and they are just like not willing to play Jalen Sneed and Nolan Ziegler and that crew, then that's a bad sign for me, right? Like that's yeah. your that means that you are just you're just complacent with being what you were last year and last year wasn't good enough it wasn't good enough so if it's not working you have to try to find answers right agree let's go down here we got something from shaquille oatmeal thank you shaquille for this for this super chat thank you very much Thank you so much for the Super Chat. Seems Marcus Freeman is looking for four coaches, quarterback coach, offensive line, NOC, and or uh, and or head coaching experience. Is that With coinc- OC or head coaching experience. Oh, I'm sorry. With OC and – let me restart this one then. Seems Marcus <laughs> Freeman is looking for coaches, quarterback coach, offensive line, with offensive coordinator and or head coaching experience. There we go. Is that coincidence or intentional in order to help Parker out from Alberto? Alberto, I don't think it's meant to help Parker. I think it's meant to just help the the staff in general. I think it's meant to you know, he he's clearly looking for experience. He's clearly looking for guys that that uh, that have been through the battles and the struggles and the wars and those type of things. And I think that's a big part of it, right? It is he's a young coach. I think he recognizes his inexperience and says, "Hey, if there's if there's way, and this is what a good leader does. Hey, I know what my strengths are." And I know what my strengths aren't. And every coach has weaknesses. Every single one. Saban, Urban, Dabo, all of them. You've got to, the, the, the best coaches say, hey, I'm going to find a guy that maybe has some strengths that I don't. And sometimes it can be personality. Sometimes it can be experience. Sometimes it can be, hey, I want to spend more time with the offense. So I need to hire a guy that's, that, that can do certain things in the defense. There's all types of areas that it goes. If you're a smart offensive coordinator, say, look, I know pass scheme. I know this. I know the X's and O's, but I can't teach run blocking. So I need to hire a guy that's great at teaching run blocking. That That's being a smart coach. And get the best guy you can and not be afraid of someone who may have ideas that challenge you. And I think that's what the best coaches do. And so uh, is, is it partly to kind of add more experience to the staff being led by Parker? Sure. But I don't think it's, gee, I don't think Jared can do the job. Let me go out there and hire a bunch of guys that have done it before to help him along. If he was that concerned about Jared Parker, I don't think you would have hired him to be the OC with some of the other candidates on the board who had been head coaches. I mean, there are head co- there was OCs on the board that I that I can say relatively confidently won the job who had head coaching experience. It's just they decided to go in a different direction. So I, I think if he was that dead set on having it, he would have got one of those guys. I think it's just he values experience period 
And I think that's something he was looking for in the staff this year. It's my, and it's I, my two cents. And I think usually guys that have a longer track record, more experience. I mean, there's a, the law of averages are that they've probably have been in a couple different positions at some point in their career. So I, I think it is coincidental in that sense, but it does spurn off of the fact that, you know, you, you do have criteria that you're trying to fill, fill, you're trying to find an offensive line coach that is an experienced guy that can pick up the pieces and, you know, kind of where Coach Eastan left it. You're tr- you've, we're trying to find an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach that have that experience as well. So I think that those are just kind of coincidental when you really look at it. All right, let's go to the next question. We've got another one up here from John A1. It's been said that even great coaches make bad hires. But with that said, are there any common circumstances that lead to those mistakes? Here's a few that I've seen, Ryan. Number one is you hire someone who's got a great track record as a recruiter and not as a coach. That's the mistake to, uh, co- um, Urban may, or uh, Coach Saban made with Tosh Lupo. I'm not quite sure how to say his last name. He made him his defensive coordinator. Tosh had built his reputation on being a great recruiter, decent D-line coach. He made him coordinator because he wanted to – that's how he had to get him over there. I think that was a mistake. Another one that I see from college coaches is they go too hard into the NFL route right, which is another mistake I think Coach Saban made. Uh, sometimes I think coaches hire guys that lack the leadership to really take charge of an offense. That's a mistake that Urban made when he when he promoted Tim Beck and Ed Warner to be offensive coordinator. Sometimes you recruit a guy, you put you promote a guy who basically is just not dynamic enough. I think that was also the issue with, with Tim Beck and and uh, Ed Warner. I think in other instances, Ryan, you you hire guys that are great position coaches and think that they can be coordinators, and they're just not. That was what happened with Kerry Coombs at Ohio State and Ryan Day. I felt that about Jimmy Lake. I think Jimmy Lake was a much better just corners coach than he was a secondary coach than he was a D coordinator, and he was definitely better at both of those than he was as a head coach. Uh, he was a disaster of a head coach. So I think those are some of the things that you can do. And then another one, too, is, is you know you hire people – that you're close to can be another one. Now, not all hires of people that are close to you are bad hires. I mean, what were the best hires that that Marcus Freeman made last year, in my opinion, right? I mean, Harry was a great hire, not someone he knew. The other two, I would argue, the other two best hires of guys that weren't already here, because obviously Mickens would have been a hire, but you look at you know, Chris O'Leary and Jared Parker were both excellent last year as position coaches, right, or a position coach and special teams coordinator. They were both friends of his, guys he's worked with before. If Brian Kelly hadn't already hired Mike Mickens, I guarantee you Marcus Freeman would have. Also a friend, somebody he's known for a very, very long time. Did a great job. So I, I think the 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 mistake with bad hires when you hire a friend of yours is 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 not so much that you make the hire, it's that you won't you're not it's harder to fire him. Yes. And I and I think that that like I don't I don't fault Kelly for hiring Brian Van Gorder. I didn't like the hire, but I didn't fault him for it. I didn't think he was going to be a disaster that he was. But you should have known after a year this ain't going to work. It took Urban Meyer one season to realize that Tim Beck and Ed Warner weren't going to get the job done, right? And 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 then he moved on. So I, I think those are things that you have to you have to look at Ryan and say you just have to be willing to move all away from those, but the circumstances for why coaches make bad hires varies. And here's another legitimate reason why coaches make bad hires is sometimes it's just guys are great coaches somewhere else. And they're just not a fit where you are personality wise, scheme wise, don't connect with the players. There's all types of reasons why sometimes that's a factor too. Guy was a great coach somewhere else. And he just doesn't fit with what we're trying to do. 
And then yeah. you also have to know a coach's career goals. Matt Matt uh, Lafleur did a pretty good job coaching quarterbacks. Was basically useless as a recruiter. Why? Because he didn't have any intention of being here more than a year. He was he wanted to go to the NFL. You got to know those things too and be prepared for it. And you can even sometimes still make those hires, but you got to know that and not ask that guy to recruit the freaking state of California, which is one of your most important states. And and that's what they had him doing. So those are those are the type of things too. It's just not knowing where a guy's ambitions are and not being prepared to handle the things he may not do as well because he is contemplating moving on. I think those are things are all all factors in it, in my opinion. Which shows that there's a lot of things that could lead to it. I think the biggest thing you hit on, though, and I think that we even saw it this past cycle, is that you need to know when to hit the eject button, man. Like, you need to be very self-aware that, like, I did make a bad hire. I, I give Mario Cristobal – I mean, Mario Cristobal had a bad first year at Miami from an on-field perspective. But one thing he did was he was like, man, that didn't work, right? Like, right. eject. Get this out of here. Will the next wave work? We'll see. Right. That is a to be announced, to be determined type of thing. But he knew instantly that Josh Gaddis and it just wasn't the thing. Like, and we also said last offseason that the Kevin Steele, Charlie Strong thing was not going to work. They were going to bring in some yeah. good recruits and then eventually he was going to move on to someone who can coach. We called that and he was willing to do it. Yep. And and did it quickly and got a pretty good recruiting class out of it the first year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's the thing. You look at Urban Meyer firing Everett Withers after a 24 and two run. You know, I mean, th- those are things that coaches do. Uh, firing a guy after a season. You know, look, Dabo went with Brandon Streeter for one year, realized it wasn't the right move. That wasn't his role. Moved on from it. That's what you have to be willing to do. And it's even harder when it's someone that you like or that's a good person. And so that can make it a challenge. And that's I, the I, toughest I, job that any coach does. If you If you can't be willing to make the tough decisions when they need to be made, you're going to have a hard time reaching your full potential, in my opinion. And Brandon Streeter was obviously a Dabo guy, you know, and right. one year as an offensive coordinator. And, I mean, I, I give Dabo a lot of credit. I mean, I don't want anybody being fired, but at the end of the day, Dabo was like, that wasn't good enough, man. Like, there needs to be something different. Like, that's not the right fit in this situation. Even though I know you, even though I love you, even though we've had a, a – past relationship like you just need to be self-aware that way and i think yeah. the best coaches are self-aware because i mean to john's point and we've talked about it a ton has there ever been a head coach that has not made a bad hire everyone's made a bad hire yeah one like one spot or another it always Bill belichick's the, the greatest coach of this generation and he freaking hired matt patricia to be his offensive coordinator this year yes and joe judge i'm like and that joe was judge. a terrible terrible hires Terrible but hires. But after the after one year, though, Bill's like, you know, that was a bad idea. Yes, Let's move exactly. on here. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the good question there. Uh, it's a good question. So you got a two-part from Coach Bent, Ryan. His question is, if you could take one position coach from each side of the ball from the Weiss era to now and put them on a current staff, who would they be? Let's say current coach left from for promotion to open up possibilities. Okay. I, I appreciate him putting that caveat because I was very uncomfortable with the question at the very beginning because, again, it's going to be like, well, I'd fire this guy and, so if it was up to me, coach from the Weiss era, boy, that's a tough because Weiss didn't hire make a lot of good coaching hires. To be completely I, honest with you, I might uh, have to look up some rosters. In yeah, the past real I, quick. I would probably say Tony Alford if Dylan McCullough left would be a good one because Coach Weiss hired Tony Alford in two thousand nine. You know, some of the defensive hires, boy, I mean, I, I wasn't in love with a, a lot of his hires. I would say, you know what, if Chris O'Leary – well, see, I shouldn't say this one because I think he has since passed away. Uh, so that wouldn't that wouldn't make a lot of sense either because the one that I was had thought about, Ryan, was, was Bill Lewis, who uh, I thought was a good football coach. Um, no, he actually – he didn't pass away. Who am I thinking of? The, oh, Bobby Elliott passed away. That's who passed away. Coach Elliott passed away. Um, but Bill Lewis would, would have been one, and and uh, he he would have definitely been a guy to look at. I thought he's a very good safeties coach. So if Chris O'Leary got promoted to go somewhere, that'd probably be my my pick there. I didn't like a lot of Coach Weiss's hires to become. I mean, Rob Inello was terrible. Uh, I thought I think Bernie Parmalee was did a pretty nice job uh, during his tenure at times. I, I wasn't a huge Mike Haywood fan. I, I didn't. John Latina was just kind of mediocre. Uh, then he hired was, Frank Verducci, and he was not good. Rick Minner was not a very good defensive line coach. Jappy Oliver wasn't bad. Uh, Peter Voss as a quarterbacks coach was a good hire, but that was oh, you know who it'd be? Here's who it'd be: my quarterbacks coach. If Gino Gadulli didn't want to come, David Cutcliffe, because that was Charlie's first quarterbacks oh, coach. That's hire. a good one. That's so a I'm good gonna one. cheat a little bit and take <laughs> David Cutcliffe if I can't get to, to David Cutcliffe and Tony Alford would be my guys, but. Defensively, Ryan, I, I don't – I mean, Jappy Oliver maybe on the D-line would be about the only ones that I could think of other than Bill Lewis. But Bill Lewis is 81 years old, so I don't know if that one would make a lot of well, sense. But hey, I get hey, in his prime Bill Lewis coaching safeties, I could live with that. Hey, Haywood was one that coached Miami, Ohio, right, as the head Correct. coach there for he a little bit? got fired after yeah. like – he went there and then he went to Pitt and got fired after like a year at Pitt, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, not my favorite person. Corin Brown, just no – that was that one was a disaster. Ron Paulus's quarterbacks coach, no, not good at all. He just he just John Tenuta. I just uh, yeah. I mean, Bill Lewis or Jappy would be the two on defense. I thought Jappy did a solid job as a D line coach. He wasn't a great recruiter, but he was a solid D line coach. Bill Lewis would be my pick for defense if I had to. If he was a little bit a little bit younger now, but he was really good. Do you remember Bill Lewis, safeties coach? Not, he was not, like not Georgia as much. Tech for a while. He was a really good football coach. He was just he was an older guy. You know, he was a head coach at Georgia Tech for three years in the 90s. He was with the Dolphins before brought, Charlie brought him on for a number of years. He was a really good coach. Really good coach. 
David Cutcliffe's the easy answer, though, right? If he, yeah, uh, well, Tony Alford, is, Tony Alford would be my number one, oh. but David Cutcliffe would be my number two, in my opinion, just because Tony Alford's just still a little bit more in his prime, where Coach Cutcliffe is kind of like, you know, that's why I'd love to see him get hired as an analyst. I think that would be a, a great, yeah. So here we go. I'd bring Tony Alford in as a position coach, and I'd bring David Cutcliffe in as an analyst. Then I don't have to get rid of Gino or have Gino go somewhere else. David David Cutcliffe as an analyst is like that is as much home run as you'll ever find, man. That is insane, honestly. Yeah, that would be insane. Yeah, I'd, I'd be a big fan of that action. There's no doubt about that. Let's go to ND Estimate Trucking LLC. Question, Ryan and Brian, who do you feel has the most upside and will be able to get on the field the fastest out of the 2023 defensive line class? Well, upside, we talked about this the other day. For me, it's Bubakar Traore. For Ryan, it's it's Armo Mukum, but we have them yep. one and two. And Brendan Vernon, a close third for me. Uh, it, it, they're all three really high upside. The guy that I think could get on the field the fastest, there's really two for me. And one is Devin Houston. He'd be my number one. And then Brendan Vernon would be my other one because he's just so dang strong. Yeah. Like I could see him finding a role and just say, hey, dude, just go kick that dude's butt across me. I know you don't have great hand technique. I know you don't have to do this yet, but I just want you to, you know, pretend like that guy said something about your mother and go do what you got to do. Because Brennan's <laughs> got a little bit of a mean streak in him. Like he comes across as this like really quiet, apathetic, just kind of like nonchalant kid, right? Just doesn't care. doesn't care about anything. He just wants to go hunting and fishing and hang out with his friends. He doesn't get into the recruiting game. He didn't care about where he's ranked. He didn't care about what anybody was saying about him. He just wants to play ball and then go fish and hunt. But when you strap him the helmet on, he's a different kid, right? Yes. He's a very different kid and uh, and a talented kid. He's just really raw. So, But he's, he's to me, probably the least raw relative to uh, size and all those type of things. Him and Armel would be my next two, and then Bubakar probably be fourth as far as like getting on the field the fastest, Ryan. What, what are your Bre- thoughts on that one? Brennan Vernon's my number one, actually, because mm-hmm. I think what you said – Brian, he'll he'll be able to match physicality early on in his career. Like Brennan's going to come in with that demeanor and the physicality that like he doesn't. I don't think Brennan Vernon is going to care from day one who's across from him, what that guy's resume is, how many accolades he's had, if he's an All American. I think day one he's going to come in and be like, "Oh, Joe Walt, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna whip your butt." Like that's just kind of that's kind of my thought process there. Devin Houston's an interesting one because he is more physically along from a technical perspective than the group overall. But I, I just I go back to Brendan Vernon. I don't know why it is. I don't know what it is. I mean, we quantified it with a couple different things, the physicality and the strength and everything. But he just seems like one of those guys, man, that like he's going to catch a coach's eye because, yes, there's refinement that needs to happen. But he's going to play with his hair on fire, snap in, snap out and play physically like you can guarantee that that's going to be in Brendan Vernon's vocabulary the minute that he comes to campus is that he's going to work hard, he's going to play with a hot motor, and he's going to play physically. And, I mean, even if it's just a role maybe on the goal line or something like that, just like locking stuff down, I mean, it's possible. It's possible. Got one from Matt, 2011 GT. What is the driving factor as to why the media access is limited? I don't know specifically why I have some thoughts as to why I think it's the case, one thought is, number one, Notre Dame likes to control the content. And that includes meaning no content, right? They want to drive the narrative, even if the narrative is nothing, uh, number one. Number two, you know, they're trying to move to this fighting Irish media thing, which I understand, but it's like, but you're not doing anything. You're not putting stuff out there. You guys are missing so many opportunities to get content out there that, that you know, that you could put out and, 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 
people would be very attracted to. They're not doing it. I think that there's there's just not a lot of respect for what we do, if I'm just going to be completely honest with you, from, from a lot of people that I've met. And I'm not the only person that believes that. I think I'm probably just the only one that I know of willing to say it. You know, that's the difference. But uh, they haven't been the most media-friendly group uh, in, in a little while. Uh, and it, it it's just, it's, you know, I don't know if that was Kelly, if that's Swarbrick, if that's, you know, different people. I don't know who that would be. Uh, I think that's part of it as well. And then I think from a coaching standpoint, I don't think coaches necessarily want it because coaches, if I'm a coach, I don't want the media practice. I don't because I want to be able to say whatever I want, not have to worry about how it's going to get reported or whatever the case may be. And, and I get that. I, I'm sympathetic to that. But that's what I'm saying is like if there's certain things you don't want out there, then say, hey, look, don't don't tell people what the coaches are saying. You know, oh, Harry Heastan really got on this guy. If you're going to say something, be very vague. Coach Heastan spent extra time today working with so-and-so. Or if we're going to talk about coaches that are still there, you know, Coach – Coach McCullough was really in tuned with what so-and-so was doing. Now, you and I at practice knew that he was just ripping this kid left and right, right? But but as a coach, some days I would do that. i say, I'm going to be so hard on this kid today because I just need more from him and he hasn't been locked in and I just need to make sure that he knows that I'm here. And, you know, and so this guy is just going to hate my guts today because everything he does is going to – I'm on him in warm-ups. Buckle your chin strap. Tuck your shirt in. What do you – you know what I mean? Get ready to – get locked in. Stop talking. Get – and, and it just sets the tone from that day on. I'm going to be on you about everything because you haven't been locked in the last three days and I need to get you straight. Well, I wouldn't want that being reported because it's going to come across without context. Man, Coach Driscoll just did nothing but rip this kid the entire practice. Now, he must have something against the guy. I'm sympathetic to that. I really am because we don't know the context of why this kid was getting his butt chewed out all practice. You know, it looked like he was going hard to me, but you don't know what happened yesterday's practice that we didn't have access to. You didn't know what happened in the workout this morning uh, that he missed or he was an hour late to or a half hour. We, we don't know that context. So I'm sympathetic to that type of thing. I'm sympathetic to, hey, guys, don't put specific schemes out there. Don't say today we worked on inside dog blitzes or something like that. Today they worked on installing cloud coverage or, okay, I get that, right? Focus on the results of the plays and evaluating the specifics of the players. I'd be fine with that. And I would respect that. And if you don't respect that as a media person, then you lose access because I do think they should be able to do that where we've set certain rules and it's not rules of like, you can't criticize someone. Well, that's BS, right? I mean, that's, that's BS, but Hey guys, don't talk about injuries. That's a very fair thing because their thought is, we need to make sure, A, that we know what the injury is, and B, that his parents are informed before Notre Dame fans on Twitter. Yes. Very fair. Totally get that. Totally respect that. Don't talk about specifics in this regard, right? Like one year they asked us not to say who was the first team and not. I was like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. It's the third day camp. Nobody cares who the first team is as far as like your opponents, right? But whatever, we'll, we'll not do that. So you can put guidelines on it as long as they're clear and they, they stay consistent. And if people and then have the violators of those be removed. Right. So, like, don't take pictures of these kids. Don't do this. Don't do that. OK, fine. If we break those rules. But like one year they had it to where they didn't want us to report an injury. And so some guy for a Chicago paper reported an injury. And so they removed all of us and wouldn't let any of us come back. I'm like, well, that's stupid for all I know. And I'm just hypothetically. Let's say there's some guy who doesn't want to be at every practice. 
that starts at six in the morning. And he's like, man, this is ridiculous. So I know if I break this rule, they're going to kick all of us out. There's no actual repercussions for me because it's not like they're going to remove my credential because I talked about an injured kid because they don't do that. But we're just not going to come. Well, problem solved. I don't have to keep showing up from Chicago every day for, you know, drive an hour and a half to go to practice every other day at six o'clock in the morning. Right. Okay. So, so, so then don't let that person come. Right. Because they break a rule. So there's a lot of reasons why it could be. I can't tell you specifically what it is. I just, I can tell you what they're missing out on. Right. It may not be an ill will behind their decisions or maybe no contempt behind their decisions. They much, they may just be thinking, Hey, this is what we want to do, or this is what the coaches want or whatever. Uh, but they're missing golden opportunities. And to me, part of the communications and SID's jobs is if a coach doesn't want more access to make the case to him, why it's actually good for more access, you know, and just say, Hey, look, what are you concerned about coach? Well, I don't want this, this, and this getting out. Cool. Then we can put those standards onto the, onto the people. We're agreeing with you. We're entering a partnership with you. We agree to, cause they don't owe us access to anything. They, they don't owe us access to practice. That's the one thing that people want to understand. I, I'm not entitled to be at practice. They don't have to let us at anything. I'm simply saying it's best to do that. So if they then want to put conditions on access, I, I, I'm fine with that within, within certain reason. It's like, okay, what are we even here for? But honestly, even if they were like, hey, you can't report anything specific you saw from practice, still let me be there. I'd still do it. I mean, you know me, right? I'd still be there. But the point is, is they could put conditions on it. The coach doesn't want this reported, this reported, this reported. This reported. All right, cool. And if somebody violates that, I know you all read what we write anyway, right? So don't pretend like you don't. If somebody violates that, then don't let that person come back for the spring. But, you know, that, that would be my thing. So it could be a lot of different things. It could be a combination of things. But I just think it's a mistake, especially in the NIL era. It is... Like it is a huge mistake not to do. You should, as an institution, be doing everything you can through as media as many media outlet channels as possible to be promoting your kids and your coaches. Because people just, see it, people yes, see it, yeah, yes. Well, and, and like future recruits see that stuff too, yes. and they're like, "Oh, that's cool, man." That's yes. Dope. Like there should be a mic'd up day every after every practice. They should put out two videos after every single spring practice. One is like a minute, minute half long highlight video, right? And you don't have to show anything. You're not, people aren't seeing players. You're not showing all 22 versions of highlights. And they should have a mic'd up with a different coach every practice. Every practice. Now you get to edit what people see, right? So the time you MF some kid because the kid did something deserved MFing, you don't put that in there, right? Okay, fine. But those are great things because kids get to see you in your element, like the stuff with Dylan McCullough over the other day. That was pretty cool. Was, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, let people see that that's good for recruiting. It's good for promoting him and what he does and his future aspirations. You should do that with a player a couple times in fall camp. Hey, we mic'd up Sam Hartman today. Dude, that would go over like gangbusters. Put that on YouTube. Man, that thing would get they would make bank off that thing. You know what I mean? Like and that's the thing is like they're just they don't do a lot to promote those things, those revenue streams that they should could be making money off of. They don't do enough to promote that, in my opinion. Well, that comes I mean, that comes back to the personality side of stuff. Like I would love to see Sam Hartman right. mic'd up. I mean, just right. as a general, not even from a it's not even from just a general fan. Like, I mean, because like NFL draft stuff, right? Like next year, people are gonna be searching on YouTube of like 
oh, Sam Hartman stuff. And then, oh, here's a mic'd up thing on Sam right. Hartman. I'm going to listen to it to see how he leads and stuff. Like, that's and, and like Notre, like Notre Dame trying to do this fire, fighting our Schmitty thing. Like, if they ask my opinion, and trust me, they don't care about my opinion. But if they ask, I say, you guys should have, like, these really cool productions. Like, you should have 10 to 12 in fall camp a day in the life of videos where you follow a coach around or a player around. And, and just do different things where today, you know, here, here's – remember what they did the day that Coach Freeman was introduced as head coach? And they had that thing where he kind of got up in the morning and then he did this, he did that. And that something like that in fall camp, put that on YouTube or put that on your Fighting Irish Media TV. And, hey, you, in order to get access to this, you've got to have it. But then make it to where we can embed it in our stories because you still then get clicks for that and still get the views for that. But just say, hey, if you're going to do this, you got to embed it from our thing or whatever on YouTube, which is totally fine. Like they actually do that. Now, if you're going to put the whole press conference on there, you have to use our YouTube thing. You have to embed our YouTube thing. Totally fine with that. Totally, totally makes sense. And, and so those are those opportunities too, where that's not benefiting us per se. I mean, we could put it up into a story, but I'm not going to make much off of that, but it is promoting your program more. Yeah. And so it's not just about, well, of course you feel that way. You want more access for more content. Of, of course I do. But that doesn't mean that what I'm also saying about how this is actually beneficial for your program isn't also true. And there's things that I would have them do that don't have anything to do with us. So we wouldn't have access to or be able to make money off of just which is but it would be good for the program. And that's where I say, boy, they're missing so many opportunities with that kind of stuff, you know, and, and you know, maybe only do four or five in fall camp or something like that. Those are all the different aspects that I, that I look at, you know, and say, hey, um, like, here's one. So they they do a thing where they follow Chancey Stucky around one day. And Chancey's always got like these really fly shirts and hoodies and stuff, right? And then we have a guy on our board whose who's handle is Chancey Stucky's hoodie. And that's yeah. his board name, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and so then you, the next day you say, hey, we're now selling, you know, like you give Coach Freeman his thing. And we're now selling the the hoodie that Coach Freeman had at practice yesterday. People would buy that. You'd make yeah, money would. off that, right? And so those are all opportunities that you're missing out on to, to not only promote your players and your program to the outside world, which is important, but you're also missing out on chances to make money. And, and, and the fact that they have this disconnect where we don't owe the fans anything really is what blows my mind because that's who ultimately you're hurting when you limit our access and limit what you're doing. That's the thing that it hurts. It there hurts. was – there was a picture recently. I forget if it was a coaching visit before the dead period or what it was, but there was one where Marcus Freeman was wearing this dope hoodie, man. It was like this white, really nice hoodie. And I, I, I literally thought to myself, like, if that was available, I would buy that right now. Like I would buy it right without even thinking about it. Just that stuff. Like that's interactive and it's cool. And yeah, I mean, I think you need to capitalize on that type of stuff. So agree completely on that. Yeah, so those are things that I wish that they would do more of. And I just, I don't, and I I know some of that's, I mean, that's not cheap. You have to pay people to do that and pay for the equipment and all that. But number one, it would eventually pay for itself if you're really committed to it. And number two, again, you're Notre Dame. This is not a problem for you. And you could even make it to where you tied in with different parts of your campus, right? So you have kids that are majors in such and such, and this is what they want to do. You have a TV and film degree. I'm sure there are kids in there want to get into production and stuff like that, then have them be the ones doing it. And it's a great opportunity for them too. Now you're helping them. They're the ones putting yeah. this out and they've got that on their resume as opposed to going hiring and paying, 
you know, $80,000 to hire a, per, hire a person to come and do it. You hire someone to oversee it and to help them, but have them do it. That'd be so great. And, and, and I know they do that to a degree already, but like really take it to the next level. These look at what these kids would have on their resume, you know? So like, there's so many things that they could do. Like if I, if I, if I was in that job, I'd be like, dude, we need to lean into this. Like, no, no, we're going the opposite direction, right? We need to lean into this. And uh-huh. some of it, we allow the media to do some of it we're going to do and, and really promote and sell our program. Cause you've got to find that niche right now. You've got to find that NIL niche. You don't want to promote this. You don't want to promote that. Then you can at least promote your players to the people that will then pay them. And the fact that they don't do that better is is really frustrating to me. That that would be so cool if some of those kids coming out of school had just like a Dropbox link, drop, Dropbox link where they could just throw out there that it's like, look at all these cool videos that right. I was a part of the production of that. Right. That is so cool. So cool. Yep. Absolutely. I just, I think all that stuff would be great. And it would create a lot of buzz in the program. And it would just be, it would be like, remember the year they did the, the Showtime thing? Like that was big. Like there was a lot of buzz about Notre Dame that year. Now I don't necessarily want to do that again. Right. Like, but I'm not going to lie. Like it was pretty cool that one day one of the coaches was driving in and they're listening to our podcast. I was like, okay, that's pretty awesome. I'm hearing myself on Showtime. That was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but uh, we had to sign waivers for that, by the way. We had to sign did waivers you? so they could use our. Yeah, they could use whatever we wanted to, whatever they wanted from our shows and stuff. So that was pretty wild.